Yeah, I think in some ways people are so desperate for any depiction of of class period in media that that's why Parasite stood out so much because it very openly acknowledges the existence of class. <laughs> okay, so this is the Redwood Podcast. I'm Davis. I'm here with John. Hello. <laughs> Gabe. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> First, we're going to talk about current events. I think Parasite's a great movie to talk about. We have a movie that shows the immense class divide in society. I mean, just today, the news that stuck out at me, thinking about Parasite 2 is this vaccine rollout and just how starkly it's divided in every single aspect of the rollout. So we're seeing people who have spent the whole year denying this existence, working for Trump and his administration. Apparently, they're going to be the first ones to receive it while the frontline nurses are still waiting. But but then even like on a more macro scale, the global South, you know, Africa, Asia, South America, they won't be receiving it till like 2022, whereas the West will be receiving it till 2020. I think this is why we're talking about it. Parasite seems super relevant right now. Definitely. I, I don't know if you, there's more you want to say about like what's going on, but I was just thinking that'd be good to start talking about the film. It's a very depressing movie that's way less depressing yeah. than real life. Uh, right. But, and maybe I don't want to jump in right away to like our disagreements with it, but I think the outlook that this movie takes on this suffering that our capitalist system is creating that we're witnessing, you know, even right now and really globally, because even though this movie happens in Seoul, it could happen. San Francisco, the same story could be taking place there. To me, it does take a pessimistic view of this struggle in the sense that it really shows how it captures everything. There's no escaping it. The The family that is trying to move up in the world can only envision moving up by putting others down, right? And be, just becoming the next Parks. But I think other people see it in a more positive and optimistic light in terms of depicting class struggle. Yeah, I think in some ways people are so desperate for any depiction of of class period in media that that's why Parasite stood out so much because it very openly acknowledges the existence of class. And that's something that tons of movies don't do, even when they are ostensibly about poor people or something. It's very rare that you see a movie that is explicitly addressing class. And so I think I think Parasite leans radical because of that. And I think that a lot of people on the left were, were excited to see it, and for good reason. But I, I think the ending of Parasite is about as devastating as it could possibly be. Because on the one hand, like you say, it's a reminder that the only ambition that he sees as a possibility, like you say, following the parks, you know, crashing his way to the top, it's nightmarish. And then it reminds us that that even that is basically an illusion, you know, like, like it, it, it's not right. going to happen. It, it's a, it's effectively a dream sequence and a reminder that realistically there is no making it from the semi-basement to the park's house. That's just, it's that's not going to happen. Yeah. We can't even take solace in it being a nice story about, you know, someone climbing the, the social ladder or something, because even that is, it's not happening. Davis, where you began, which is that the bar is so low for Hollywood mainstream films to depict class issues, working class people. It seems like everything we watch on mainstream TV is about doctors, police officers, or lawyers. And then when you turn to Hollywood, you have one film after another that is detached from 
the realities of working class people's existence. And so the bar is so low that a film like this is overly embraced as a radical film or as this working class masterpiece because it's like art imitating life. And there's things about the film I do like, and I'm glad that class is being introduced into a mainstream film. But there's a lot of problems with the film. Have either of y'all seen The Player? I have um, It's no. 1992 no. Tim Robbins movie. I just watched it for the first time this week. And it's about like a movie studio executive. Like a, I think he's like an executive producer or something. But in it, it's it's like a satire. And I, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. But in it, early on in the film, he's having um, conversations with all these different people, like pitching him movie ideas. And in one of them, the guy says, does political scare you? And he's like, political doesn't scare me. Radical political scares me. Political political scares me. <laughs> and I I couldn't help but like thinking about this movie in that context, right? The reality is this movie did get made. Bong Joon-ho has made some, some movies that are, I think, much more subversive than what we're used to, but it still got made, right? And, and so some executive who may not be exactly like Tim Robbins in The Player, but, but is effectively similar, I think that satire is pretty spot on. And I do think there's something to that, that there's a, a divide between something that's political and something that's like political, political or radical, political. He won Best Picture, which which as as much as as much as we might make fun of the people uh, who are who are excited about that in Hollywood saying like this movie's making fun of you, it still won, right? And I don't think all those people were just completely oblivious to it. They weren't watching some whole different movie than we were. That's the question we should all be asking. That is when the elites of our society celebrate something when they, through celebration and awardship, are the stamping it with their approval and recommending you watch it. How subversive is it when the elites are saying you need to watch this film by stamping it with best picture? How much is that film challenging the status quo? You know, the, the conspiracy that these people imagine is is happening in America. The Academy might be the closest thing that exists to the, the actual version <laughs> of that. Like it really is like a whole group of ultra elites and we don't even know who they are. You know, they're like meeting in a back room or something, but uh, we, we literally don't even know who is in the voting pool. Right. So the fact that those people did ultimately give it that stamp of approval, I think should give us pause, should make us think what that means. Man, I have thoughts on this, but I think, John, did you want to take us like chronologically through issues that you had with the film? There's like there a place you wanted to start because I had another general idea, but I can offer some of my criticisms of the film, but I can also offer some of the positives of it. I know that you both liked it more than I did. I think I was more critical. Right. Because I mean, I think ultimately we do need art that depicts our reality. And I think our system does force people to fight against each other and compete with each other in really gross ways. And maybe you'll say, John, that that's not the image of people that we want to see. But I do think that does happen. The parks, the world force the Kims and the, the original maids family to fight with each other for crumbs. And in that sense, like the film is showing that pretty clearly. To me, that's a really strong point of the film. Right. I think that that's where the radicalism of it maybe does come in. And maybe this is the piece that was underappreciated by people in Hollywood that were praising it and stuff. I, I think it's ultimately, a, it is very pessimistic and appropriately so. It's appropriately horrified by what capitalism forces us to do and the way that it pits working class people against each other. Any gain is at the expense of someone else. The, the parks hold way more wealth than they need 
than they have any use for, then the bunker three stories below is is all that's left to fight for. And, and that's, I think that's a pretty powerful image really. And that's kind of, I think the main reason I really love the film besides like, I think we do, should probably separate or talk about both the, the movie as a film and then the movie as a political text or something. I, well, I think, I think I, I, I like it in both senses. I do think yeah. it's a 10 out of 10 film for me. And, and we can talk about some of that stuff, but I, I think it is kind of two distinct components to it. If I'm going to say it's a 10 out of 10 film, it's a 10 out of 10 film for the cinematography, like the rhythm. Like I almost felt like it was a symphony, you know, the way the the music and the images moved. I still remember the first time I, I, I saw it in the theater, but I feel like you can't separate that from the political in the sense that I'm thinking about now. We're seeing radical politics as it's becoming more popular, getting this like really nice image, maybe spectacle, but without a lot of actual wins for working people. Just in the sense that we live in this social media viral culture where maybe it feels like getting 500,000 people to sign something is this really great thing. But then we look at it the next day and it's like, well, did that really accomplish anything? And I almost feel it's analogous to Parasite where it's, wow, this is visually incredible. And I think it's saying this really powerful revolutionary message. I feel that. But then the next day you're kind of sitting there thinking, wait, what, what was actually so revolutionary about it? That's kind of where, like, I do wonder, I mean, I think, I think the, the scene where they're you know, collecting the peach fuzz and getting the former housekeeper yeah. fired, I think that, you know, it's like a voiceover, I guess that six right. minutes or something I think is like one of the most amazing bits of film I've seen in, like in a compilation, ages, yeah. you know, it's just, it's incredible. And it's, it, it's super funny, actually. But then at the end of it, you're like, holy shit. You look at why they were doing it and what that represents. And I do kind of wonder, we can't measure it, certainly. But like, how many people watched that and were kind of laughing along and were impressed with that cinematic achievement? And then at the end went, Jesus, they just made it seem like this woman had TB and right. got her fired. And then she's literally, that scene happens when he holds up the napkin with the sauce on it, you know, looking like blood. It's so hilarious. And then immediately after, she is out on the street carrying her bag in the rain. You're like, this woman has nowhere to go, no prospects. And I think that that does, the cinematic part of it can't be completely separated from what the impact that that makes in the more political sense. I hope what that, do you think? I hope that yeah. people saw that and thought, whoa, like <laughs> that's insanely fucked up that this is what it yeah. makes. This is what the system makes us do. Yeah. I, I wasn't laughing during the peach fuzz scene, which takes us to the beginning of the film, which is yes, this film is about a working class family dealing with the hardships of modern neoliberal capitalism. And as such, there are leftists who are going to say, wow, this is amazing. But let's step back and think about how they depict this working class family. This is a family of grifters. And that's where the film begins. That's an old elite trope depicting working class people as people who are dishonest. And in a way, this trope is used to justify why a person is in that position. There's this logic to success in not only the United States, but in many capitalist countries that those who work hard, those who are honest, move up the socioeconomic ladder. So it's very damaging to depict working class people as grifters. 
Because when you do that, the implication is they're morally deficient. That is, these people wouldn't be living in a below ground basement apartments. Maybe they wouldn't be as poor as they are. Maybe they wouldn't be suffering the way they're suffering if they weren't dishonest people, if they weren't con artists. Anytime a film depicts working class people as grifters, I'm already suspect of it. And it helps explain to me why the elites of Hollywood could clap enthusiastically for the film's depiction of working class life is it reaffirms their suspicions of working class people and legitimizes the status quo. That's why you need security cameras. That's why you need in walls. Yeah. Gated communities. But John, so when you say that the film begins depicting the Park family as grifters, like what specific, because one thing that I think is interesting is the original grift comes from the rich friend, not them. Correct? Yeah. Uh, unless, I, unless there's something else you're, you're thinking about, but like. Oh, the list is long. Yeah. it's It doesn't, to say it starts with the friend. I mean, what the friend says here, you go work for this family and you can doctor your educational requirements. Okay. That's wrong. One could say, hey, you shouldn't be doctoring documents, but it gets way worse than that. When the right. daughter hides her panties underneath the driver's seat so that it's assumed that the driver is having sex in his boss's car, she gets him fired. When they use peaches, as you guys discussed earlier, to cause an allergic reaction to a fellow worker and then to imply she has tuberculosis in order to get her fired, that's taking it to another level. And when the daughter of the, the Kim family is forging these documents, the, the head of the Kim family, the dad, is actually impressed by the way she can fake credentials. There's no sense there of a moral compass in this family. Growing up in a working class community the way I did, most working class parents would beat your ass if you're doing immoral things. Most of them would give you a good spanking if they see you forging documents. If they see you doing illegal activity, you would be disciplined by some moral parent who would say, no, don't do that. But here we have the dad bracing that behavior. Agnostic, yeah. And then we have these moments where they're contemplating consequences of their grifts, but yet uh, we're supposed to laugh at these things. We're supposed to find them quirky and intriguing, but you're getting a, a car driver fired. You're getting a housekeeper fired. You're getting people fired from their occupations and you're doing it in these really dishonest ways. One, one thing I, I do think is important to talk about or to clarify, one of the things that was striking to me is that it, as I saw it, it, it starts with a very brutal like depiction of what life is like as people that are completely reliant upon contingent or like just in time labor. Our modern context where like a huge number of people are relying upon companies like Uber or grocery delivery services or, or whatever, the two children crouched by the toilet holding their phones up, not so that they can like text a friend, but so that they can try and get Wi-Fi to get in touch with the the pizza place that's going to pay them like a pittance to, you know, to fold these pizza boxes. It's not a grift. It's definitely like genuine labor, but it's a nightmare. They can't survive that way. And yet all four of them are completely reliant upon that kind of work. Their lives are completely precarious. They have no, no security. And so to me, it was kind of set up by highlighting the fact that their lives before this moment had been, you know, just like a, a series of trying to do things the right way and, and, and never you know, getting ahead or, or never getting any of that security. I mean, at one point, you know, when they're after it's already started, after at least two of them um, have have jobs with the Park family, they're talking about the the dad's jobs over time and how he had, you know, how he was like a driver 
and how he was uh, a valet for a while, how he worked at it, like Chauffeur, some kind of shop yeah. that went bust, you know, and, and it, you kind of get a sense of the fact that the parents in this family and, and now the kids are going through this series of unsuccessful efforts Ventures, to, to yeah. gain some kind of security. I was going to respond to this, but Gabe, did you want to say something? I think an interesting thing happens where you you see this grift taking place and the consequences of their actions are externalized. You never see the dri- the original driver again. But to me, it almost feels like a misdirection because I think you're watching it and you're thinking, okay, we're not going to have to think about the victims of this desire to escalate, to move up. But then, I mean, the big reveal of the film, spoiler alert, <laughs> if anyone's listening hasn't seen it, you know, is when you see the, the husband underground. I think they actually say that he was in hiding because of loan sharks. So I just think it's this idea that what he's depicting isn't so much the people doing bad things, but the economic forces that compel people into really shitty situations with no good options and how that changed at different points of the film, because in the beginning it's nasty. And like, why are we you know, laughing at people being fired? But then like he does hit you with the victims of this way of doing things later on with the big reveal. Right before that, right before they go to the bunker or the basement for the first time, they're partying in the room, you know, and, and, and they're like, I, if I, if I was rich, I'd be nice too. And, you know, saying stuff like that, yeah. uh, you know, on point they're talking about men, you know, and, and would men, the, the friend who originally got him the job, would he be doing all this? And they say he wouldn't even be in this situation. Right. And so they're, they're kind of justifying this, this behavior. But then when they're down in the, in the bunker, when they're initially talking to the former housekeeper and Mrs. Kim says like, I'm not needy when she's initially talking to them. And she says like, you use loan sharks, like with this, you know, condescension. And then the rest of the family falls out from the stairs and the dynamic just completely shifts. And suddenly the, the Kims are the one calling the former housekeeper sis. And I, I think that that moment is important because I think it kind of highlights this point that Gabe's bringing up that it, it is kind of ultimately showing these things are less about individual decisions than about large structural forces and how they teach people to to treat everything as a, a competition between themselves. I mean, essentially, it's a, a film about like not having class consciousness, right? Like it's it's about these people not recognizing their shared interests, and and when they fall out and, and are exposed, that dynamic just shifts and and goes the opposite direction. She's just immediately, you know, she's like saying like, I bet you don't even understand art, and you know, uh, the former housekeeper, like she just immediately takes her role as, on the other side of that dynamic between the two families. Well, I think you guys just showed me how it is that leftists can embrace this film, and so can Hollywood elites. Like I agree that the film depicts the way precarious labor can be so easily fired and dismissed. But my sense is the people who assigned it best picture did not assign the points for that reason. So for people like us, we could say like, wow, look at how Bong Joon-ho is showing us how precarious labor has so little power in this economy that they can just be dismissed without cause. But that's not the reason it won best picture. So there's things in it that we can discuss that we can see through a progressive radical lens. But 
if we connect this to the depiction as a family of con artists, which then raises questions about how hard they're actually working in this economy. I guess what I'm suggesting is that it sends a counter message. So you can say, wow, this neoliberal Korean capitalist economy is horrific. Look at how precarious labor is treated. Or you can ask, you know, how honest is that dad? How hardworking is he if he's bouncing from job to job? And if in the middle of the day, he spends his time putting together pizza boxes, how hard is he working? to find a good living employment for his family. How about this son? He's handsome, he's smart, he has options, yet where's he going? The daughter, she has incredible talent as an artist, she can forge documents, but what does she do with it? We don't really know. So the family seems to have talents, they seem to have looks, they seem to be articulate, and yet they can't seem to survive without doing dishonest things. I think this doesn't suggest that the neoliberal game is rigged, and it's rigged against them. I think it leads you to other conclusions as well so that we can approach it and say, wow, the game's rigged. But I think other people can watch this film and not come away with that conclusion. And I think that's why it can win awards. Because if we look at the way it's depicting the Park elite family, how do the parks make their it's money? It's a tech thing. Yeah, we, it's really not. Yeah. It's not a tech thing for a military company that drops bombs on other countries. It's not that he's working with scientifically engineered agricultural products that wreak havoc. We don't, we don't get a sense of his money coming from anywhere that could be immoral. His money seems to be coming from a moral place. Like I know that the guy gets depicted yeah. as out of touch, uh, elitist in a way, but he's not a bad guy in the sense of he's not violent with his family. He's kind to them. The wife, she might be in her own head, but she's not immoral in any way. None of the rich people in this film come off behaving in immoral ways. I think what you're touching on, John, is if we as people on the left want class struggle to be depicted into a wide audience, you would want it to be depicted well. And it's hard, I think, to depict it well and not, and not fall into any tropes or maybe anything that we don't like when you're really missing the central part, which is exploitation. You know, not in a moral sense, in the sense that the way you become rich is through not giving... <laughs> the worker the full value of what they produce there's no connection in the film between i mean you basically said it between the park's wealth and the kim and the and the other working class characters his money comes from who knows and they just kind of fight fight amongst themselves i, I feel like that might be a really important missing piece to creating something that is truly powerful in a political sense yeah, honestly, you, you, I mean, your comments are just, to me, John, are, are highlighting the fact that, like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you can watch this film in a very different way. And, and ultimately, if you are the kind of person that believes in the undeserving poor, you're probably going to see the undeserving poor Definitely. in this movie. Or if you want to see that the system is rigged against working class people, gives them very few options and forces them into having to make horrible and often dishonest decisions, you can see that as well in the film. And you can embrace the film as a film that finally depicts working class people, yeah. albeit as grifters. And albeit, I mean, it's like, that's what we get. Maybe there is something radical just about getting it made, you know, just about having a movie where we can see these things if we look hard enough. The fact that Bong Joon-ho was able to make this movie and have it win these awards and things, essentially that he like slid it under the radar with his amazing filmmaking talent 
and left these crumbs for us. Maybe there is something radical about that on its own. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there are severe limitations. In- and I, I think an important point on this idea of like everybody being able to find something depending on the lens through which they look through it. A semi-important part of the plot is that the mother believes anything that you put in front of her is amazing art. So it's kind of like in a way saying, well, yeah, the Academy will love this because rich people really can be impressed by anything. And I don't know, I don't know if that's intentional, but I do think that's, that's worth noting. I guess to be clear, right, I'm saying that this film is being embraced by many elites because the working class protagonists are depicted as grifters, because you don't have a clear message that the system is the problem and that it's not about the limits of individual moral failings. Here's a question. How is the film really challenging the status quo? And I would say it's not. I think the most quote unquote radical message in the film is that precarious labor is not treated with respect. And so that is why the former housekeeper's husband actually says respect to the elite park family when he comes up and attacks everybody. And so the word respect is shouted at us because I think the director wants us to understand that he's saying to you, look, we are not respected as human beings in this world. And I think many elite Hollywood folks, they probably did get that message. Got to treat your chauffeur better. Treat people with some respect if they work for you. There's nothing that subversive about that. I don't see the radical message here that people keep reading into this film. I took something pretty different, I think, out of the respect bit. I I, I really thought it was kind of about the bizarre worship of elites among members of the working class and the way that because, you know, we were talking about like how the, the wealth is hidden in this movie. And I, I guess one, one of the things that, that I was really thinking about as, as I was watching is that the movie is from the perspective of these working class people, I think. I don't think it's really about the parks because the parks' lives are mythologized, kind of. It's an idealized picture of being extremely wealthy. To me, that part is about the weird way that capitalism teaches us, teaches people in the working class that our only ambition should be to be just like the capitalists that are so so visible in our culture. And I think we see that everywhere, right? We, we see that maybe even more now than ever with everybody you know <laughs> wants to be an entrepreneur and um, be like, know so much about these these billionaires right like like why do we know so much about bezos and zuckerberg look at the the replies to elon Musk's tweets like just the people yeah, who right. worship that guy apart from their business right, right? We, we know so much about them as people because they're held up to be these aspirational figures just be like elon musk and you too can achieve whatever i think the movie is kind of highlighting how like how bizarre that is, right? For this guy to be in the the bunker three stories below the actual house and be banging his head against the light switches and talking about how much he appreciates what Park has bestowed upon him, basically, when he's living in like a, a concrete bunker. Well, we as the viewers can interpret that as how much the working class internalizes a submissive position within a, a capitalist economy. But I think it requires us to put on our progressive radical hats to see that. I'm not sure if the average viewer sees those scenes in that way. It seems to me that there are some people who are nodding their heads 
when they say that because the Park elite family has been depicted to us as a kind family who's pretty decent and probably doesn't deserve this because what have they done? In fact, what have they done to deserve this? Because as I said earlier, he's not like the financier from (laughs) Oliver Stone's Wall Street. He's not doing anything bad. He's making, it it, kind of seems like he's making the Oculus Rift. Like it's something we might... The three of us yeah. might he's a nice guy have fun with. Yeah. I think we're basically in agreement that it's not really a radical film. And that might be just simple as looking at the title and saying, okay, the title is Parasite, supposedly about class struggle. Thus, it should be clear after watching it who the parasite is, right? The capitalist. If it were to be a subversive movie that many are claiming it to be. But I think when I'm just thinking about conversations I've had with friends about this film, like the main popular debate was, oh, who is the parasite? Was it the Parks or was it the Kims? Oh, the brilliance of the film is that it's both and neither. But in reality, there is no ambiguity within our system. It's clear. Yeah. And and ultimately, I don't know who the parasite is in this film. Either one could be the parasite. Yeah. What do you all think? Any final comments on this? I think we could probably talk for hours, but I think... uh, That might be a good place to stop, actually. What have you guys been doing? Well, I was playing Ghost of Tushima, and I was really into it. But then Cyberpunk 77 came out, which I had been waiting for. When I have time, I've been playing Cyberpunk 77 now. I didn't even finish uh, the Ghost game. Keanu Reeves is in it, so that's helping him out. John Wick's making an appearance. (laughs) I'm excited to play this game, too. I I haven't gotten it yet, but... I'm really glad to hear you say that because from social media, I've been hearing like just awful things about it. it yeah, same. It's buggy. Yeah, like yeah. really. There, it not not about the story or about the you know the actual game so much as like basically a lot of people saying it's like they made it for PS5 and the PS4 can't handle it or something. Like I've seen like videos of like the graphics being terrible and it being super um, laggy and stuff like that. I've been playing it and come across a couple bugs here and there but nothing that is taking away from the gameplay. What are you guys doing? I've totally caught the Warzone bug and I'd love to play with you guys sometimes because I know even though it may not be our forte, I think we'd have fun either way. I always, what game is this? Uh, it's Call of Duty, but it's the Warzone. It's like not the multiplayer. It's the Battle Royale mode. I thought you were going to say Call of Duty. Don't they have Cold War out right now? They do. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I don't think I can play that <laughs> yeah. game. I think that's too politically yeah. problematic for me. I, mean, I think you can play as the Russians. Yeah. Watch a couple of videos of that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was this really great image on Twitter real quick where it was just a screen grab. And the statement was, we at Infinity Ward stand against racism, homophobia. And the image that they chose to align it with is like a guy firing a giant machine gun out of a helicopter with like blood in his eyes. Terrible. How can you not see the irony in putting out a statement with it, with this imagery in your game, basically being propaganda for the U.S. military industrial complex? Man, and I know all those things about it and logging on there with one or two friends and trying to be the last men standing. That's essentially what Battle Royale is. It, it's really fun. And part of that is because it's not all shooting. You know, you run around, pick up loot. There's a strategy to it. Uh, that's not just what I remember Call of Duty to be is, you know, logging onto the map and immediately being headshotted by a 12 year old. That That's why I never played those games. But this, the social aspect, like the running around, hiding, finding boxes with your friends, I'm totally hooked on it. 
So my main, my, the main thing I've been into lately, the main like media thing is I binge the show Search Party. Have y'all heard of that? Mm, no, I haven't. It's very weird because it started on TBS and it like, it does not, I, I just, I don't even understand how this show got made. It, it does not seem like something on TBS at all, but then it got moved to HBO. So I, it, it's on HBO Max now and it's, um, it's just, it, it's one of these things where like you hate every character, but nice. love, love the show, you know, cause it's, it's, it's so funny. And, and the, the satire is just so brutal towards these people you hate. So it, it, it makes it, it makes it uh, just a joy to watch, even though the characters are all terrible. I don't even want to like talk about the plot because it's, it's one of those things you should just go in blind, but it's, um, it's great. It's amazing. Cool. Well, I, I think we just did our did our first podcast, guys. <laughs> Since I raised the bar so high, I've been, and I, you know, it's been some cool music because you haven't heard, you know, crowd rock in a long time. When was the last time you heard Japanese jazz? Did you know there was Japanese jazz? You probably thought it was Japanese karaoke. No, there is Japanese jazz, and one of the hottest Japanese jazz groups is called Pistol Jazz. Which is kind of what attracted me to, you know. I come across a name like that, I said, come on, I gotta listen to these guys' music. Pistol Jazz. 